All right, anyway, chapter 12, verse 1 through 4 out of Hebrews. Last week we talked about those that have went on before us, as Paul had talked about. He says, therefore, that means look at what we just talked about. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The the, the sin here that so easily trips us up is the sin of unbelief. Have you ever stopped for a moment and had even a hint of unbelief, a hint inside of you that, I don't know if this is going to work out. Uh, God, I don't know. You know, I've heard people say that. I just don't know if, it, God, I just don't know if it's going to work this time. I don't know if this is going to happen. Why, why would it why would we have that unbelief? Some people have even worse unbelief. We know that we have children that have left home, and they leave home, and then, then unbelief begins to creep in. Maybe it's something that they learned at um, college. They learned something at college, and their, their professors told them something. They're like, oh, I don't know if I believe anymore. I don't know if I understand this anymore. I don't know if I'm willing to believe this anymore. So there's, there's many ways, but the sin that, he, that so easily besets us is unbelief. And I think that all of us at some point probably struggle with a little bit of that. But he says, put it aside. He says, it slows us down. Let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially unbelief. Let's strip that off of us, and let's just put our belief and our faith in God. He said, I just gave you a list of people. I gave you a list of people that went on faith. Abraham, Moses, and Noah, all these people went on faith. Remember what was one of the things Abraham did? He went on faith when he took Isaac up on the mountain, and the Lord says, take him up on the mountain and use him as a sacrifice. He had faith. He said, Isaac says, where is the sacrifice? He says, God will supply it. Why is it so important that we remember things like that? Because remember, Isaac was the promised son that God had given him, but Abraham never wavered. He never is like, well, God, are you sure about this? God, I don't know about you, but this is the son you said was going to do this. And now here you're telling me to take him up at sacrificing? That meant that, that Abraham had enough faith that he would raise Isaac from the dead if he had to. Do you get that? That's the kind of faith. And we know that the Bible says that his faith, Abraham's faith, was accounted to him for righteousness. You know, your faith is accounted to you for righteousness. When you believe in God, when you believe in Jesus, it is accounted to you. What is that? That is faith. You're putting your faith in him and not in someone else. So he says, how do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. What the the whole series has been about, right? Jesus. All of Hebrews is really about Jesus. How do we do this? How do we keep keep it, our eyes on Jesus? I talked about how, how... Children, our children will go off to university and they come out not believing any longer. Why? Because their eyes have been taken off of Jesus. See, when we look at Jesus, we understand he is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. He's the one who started it. He's the one who who is going to end it when we get to the end of it. It says, keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. You know, one of the things that you do when you go running, when you when you go on a, on a long run, when you go, 
you know, what are those 5K runs? What is it? There's a finish line down there. There's a finish line that you're looking at. Well, Jesus is the finish line. Being with him in eternity is our finish line. And we could keep our eyes on Jesus, say, that's the finish line right there. That's where I'm headed is to where Jesus is. And he, he not only is the finish line, he is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He is the person who's already been there and already done it and going to do it uh, anything that we need in our lives. He's already completed it. Do you realize that? He is faithful. He is faithful to complete everything. Every good work will be completed in us because of him. He says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So Jesus has gone ahead of us. He has endured the cross. He has endured the shame. Anything that you go through isn't any worse than what Jesus went through. It has been said that, the, that crucifixion is the most torturous murder ever invented by man. The most torturous. And the Lord allowed, God allowed his son to be tortured on the cross for you and for me. Jesus allowed himself to be tortured on the cross for you and for me. He endured the cross, disregarding. It was shameful to be hung up on the cross. Who was hung up on the cross before Jesus? Who was hung up on the cross? Criminals. Criminals. Somebody like Barabbas, you know, murderers. That's who was hung up on the cross, and he was hung up there. Not only was he hung up there, but he was stripped they stripped him down. They hung him up there. They beat him. They whipped him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They made fun of him up on that cross. It says, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Do you realize that? If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you won't become weary and give up because you go, whoa, Jesus already went through this. You say, well, every day I, I am, I'm harassed. Uh, every day somebody is saying something to me. What do you think it was like for Jesus growing up who, with a dad who was not his real dad. How many people do you think go, oh, there's that Jesus. He's an illegitimate child. Not knowing that it was God. Jesus was still human. If you don't think words hurt him just like they hurt you, they hurt him too. It hurt. And think of what he, what he went through just growing up all those years as he was growing up, 30 years before he even went into the ministry. 30 years. He says, after, think what his brothers, brothers might have said to him. Because we know his brothers thought he was crazy at one point. All of them did. He says, after, after all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. You have not given your lives in your struggle. You, listen, you're still alive. You're still kicking. He's saying, hey, everybody, you're still alive. You're still kicking. You're doing good. You're, you're, you haven't given your lives up. You haven't given up on this yet. Don't give up now. D- don't give up now. Don't give your lives over to sin now. We know that you're, we, I know that you're struggling, but you haven't given, you haven't shed any blood for it. All right, Jesus shed the blood. Understand that? Jesus shed, your blood doesn't do anything. But Jesus shed blood changes everything. Hebrews chapter 12, verse five through nine, it says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. So he goes from saying, don't give up, don't stop, keep on looking at Jesus, the author and finisher, 
the one that you need to look to, the champion of our faith, look to him. And then he goes into discipline. He says, encouraging words God spoke to you. He says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and that you are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? The Lord disciplines us, but he disciplines us, disciplines those that he loves, which are his children. You get that? Now, when I say discipline, discipline means it's to, it's to correct. A discipline, you discipline to correct, okay? You discipline to correct, to get a person going the, the correct way, right? Um, the discipline when you get a speeding ticket is to slow you down. The discipline when you uh, you know, when you're a little kid and you talk back to your mom, maybe a, a spanking or maybe your mouth is washed out with soap, something like that. Uh, discipline at your job when you do something wrong maybe means that uh, you lose pay or you have to pay something back, do restitution, those kind of things. But discipline is to help correct us. Discipline is not to be mean to us. You know, we've heard this from people for a long time that you'll, you'll have people come into the church or come into Christ and they say, well, I just always see, G, see God as, as this man with this big bat in his hand ready to whop you over the head if you do something wrong. You know, we've taught that a lot of times. We taught that God is a person who every time we make a mistake, he's just there to hurt us. But that's not who God is. Remember what, what's, our, what's our verse? If, our, if we who are evil give good things, how much more will the Lord, who is not evil, give us the good gift of the Holy Spirit? You realize that? See, God disciplines us because he wants to get us going the correct direction. He doesn't want us playing with fire, right? The fire of the pits of, of hell. He doesn't want us there. So he wants to discipline us to get us in the right direction. That discipline also will help us minister to other people. Now, in the military, and, and this weekend is, is Veterans Day, and say, uh, say hi to, to a veteran. Tell them how much you appreciate them this week. But in the, in the military, we've got some veterans in here. I know we have at least one veteran in here. I don't know everybody, but I know we have at least one veteran in here. Billy over there, do we have any other veterans in here? Anybody else that served in the military? Everybody say something Billy on, on his way out. Nobody else has to say anything to him as long as all the girls. He loves the girls to say something to him. (laughs) You hear that, Billy? They said that that they're special. (laughs) But in the military, the same way, it's discipline. Why? Why Why is there discipline in the military? To get them to do it the right way, to make sure that when they go out on that field of battle, that they can win, that they can be uh, effective in what they're doing. Do you realize that the Lord is the same way? Because we are in a battle, folks. We are in a battle, and we need the discipline of God, and it is a good thing when the Lord disciplines us. It says that he loves those, and he punishes each one that he accepts as his child. He disciplines us all because he's accepted us. We should actually look and say, hey, 
praise God. You know, Job, Job had that mentality. Though he slay me, yet will I still serve him. Job had the mentality, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not turning my back on God. And when you're going through a tough time, sometimes maybe it's discipline. Maybe it's a life correction that's God's doing in your life. So don't look at it in a negative. As a matter of fact, sometimes the trials that we go through, they are discipline. But also remember what the scripture says, when you endure various trials and troubles, to count it all joy anyway. So no matter what you're going through, count it all joy. But when you know the Lord's discipline, you say, Lord, thank you. I know that you love me. Thank you. I know that you love me, God. And I, I just want to thank you for loving me and for caring enough about me that you want me to live a righteous life and make it into your kingdom one day. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 through 12 is, is our next scripture there. I want to freeze everybody out. Connie's over there putting more clothes on. (laughs) I think that was a sign. If she built an igloo around her, we know things are bad then, right? It starts a fire in the floor. Verses 10 through 12. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Anybody ever get a spanking and enjoy it? Did you like, oh, do it again, Mom. Do it again, Dad. (laughs) Your grandson needs his head checked. When we get disciplined, we don't enjoy discipline when it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there is a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. You see children who are not disciplined, we see in the public school system today, where it's so difficult for teachers to discipline children, and they can't control them anymore. And then they find out that those children aren't disciplined at home. There's no discipline at home. Maybe a timeout once in a while, but most of the time, it's just, oh, whatever. They're kids. They're going to be this way. It's hard for us to live right if we're not taught right and we're not disciplined and we're not trained that way. But when we are and you look around and you see kids or you see adults, you go, man, they must have had some good discipline growing up. Their parents must have paid attention to them when they were growing up, make sure that they were going the right way. God's the same way. He's paying attention to us. And so he says, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Get stronger. Don't, don't, don't look at it. Don't lay down. Oh, you know, I'm just going to lay down on the job because I, I've done something. No, get stronger with it. Verses 14 through 17. He says, now, he says, first off, remember faith. Remember, don't have unbelief. He says, secondly, accept the discipline the Lord gives you as love, not as anything else. And he says, now that you know this, he says, work, at living with pe- work with living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Can you lose your salvation? Here's what I teach. You can walk away from God, but you can't lose your salvation. All right? You have to be an intentional about it. But I believe this. If you've put your life in the hands of God, and, and I, I believe this, Parents that have have had struggles with your kids, if your children 
made a true commitment. Now, not a, you know, I did it because mom wanted me to do it or dad wanted me to do it. But if your children made a true commitment with God and you train them up, the Bible says in the end they're going to return. So you just keep on praying. And and if whether they made a true commitment or not, you just keep on praying. Your prayers are powerful and they are effective. Let me tell you something. The Lord hears parents' prayers. The Lord hears your cries and he is listening. And I believe he is going to make sure that those are met. I tell you, I say this all the time. The most important thing you can do on this earth is to take your family with you to heaven. That's the most important thing that you can do. Take your family to heaven with you. He says, uh, he says we, need to, we need to live a holy life. And so what I said is you, you don't lose your salvation, but you have to strive. You have to, the Bible says, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We can't sit back as we are seeing a lot of people in the United States where they just sit back and they sit in a chair and they go to a church on, on, on a Sunday morning. Maybe they go to church multiple times a week but they really aren't living a holy life because a holy life, it's just like this. A, a holy life is not just doing what's right, it's living what's right. And let me give you an example. Uh, the Bible says children are supposed to honor their father and their mother. See, when we talk about honor and obeying, it's not just doing what you're told to do, it's doing it and saying that, yes, you're right. Mom, Dad, you're right. I'm, that's what it means as children are honoring and obeying. They're not just, okay, I'll do what you tell me. You know? The same way is with God. He is our Father. When we are living a holy life and we are, we are doing what he's wanting us to do, it's not, okay, God, you don't want me to do that. I won't do it. That's not honoring him. That's not living a holy life. That's just living a life that, that is what we talked about earlier. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves cheerful children. We are his children. He loves cheerful children. Say that fast three times. You get tongue-tied. Cheerful children, cheerful children, cheerful children. Oh, I got it. I got it out. I can't believe it. I'm trying, working on my Spanish. If I say that fast enough, they'll think I'm speaking Spanish. <laughs> then he says, he said, live a holy life. Be at peace with each other. If you're living a holy life, you should be with peace with everyone. I know this can be hard because some people, you feel like smacking them over the head, right? You know, you, you, know, you, just, you just get aggravated. But he says, the way, you, the way that people will see this holiness in you is by living with peace with people. Didn't Jesus live with peace in peace with people? Yes, he did. He was, at, he was hung up on that cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Hanging up on that cross, that's what he said. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Look after each other. What is that? What is that looking after each other? People in the church, people outside the church, people in our families, people around us looking after. You go, boy, I've been, I've been talking to this person about Christ for 20 years. We'll keep on talking about Christ. We have some friends who who used to live right next to us. And we would, they would come over and just accidentally, well, I think it's providentially, but to us in human, human thinking, they, accidentally we'd start talking about the Lord and the next thing you know, the Bible opened up and we weren't having a Bible study. You know what I'm saying? But it's not what it was. It was just, they started asking questions. 
And for years, we're like, oh, God, you know, get them in church somewhere solid and somewhere where they could stick and, and they'll be there and, and, and that they're learning. And then we got to see them baptized in water and we got to see them and they're now in church, you know, today. They're, they're committed to their church. I give you story after story after story of people in our lives that we talk to. And, and Christy and I sometimes would sit there and go, man, are they ever going to get it? Are they ever going to get it? Are they ever going to get it? But he says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Those around us, you just keep on, keep on. The power of God is strong in you if you allow it to be. He says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And I'll say this, when he talks about bitterness, we could go into a long message on bitterness. But bitterness, bitterness is, is, is wormwood. It's, it just eats you up. And if you have bitterness in your heart and in your life because of what somebody did to you, you need to go to the Lord and you need to say, Lord, deliver me from this bitterness because that bitterness will just take you down. It will destroy your life. And I can give you some examples of people who could have done great things in their life, but they allowed bitterness to just eat and eat and eat at them. Bitterness does nobody any good, other than the devil, I guess. I guess he enjoys you being in, a, you, you being in that state. Remember, the Bible says if you hate your brother, that you are, are the same as a murderer, all right? So bitterness, we got to get it out. It, it, it hurts. It hurts, but we have to get that bitterness out of us. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. So what is he talking about here? Why is he, why is he saying to, to not be immoral or godless like Esau with his birthright. Remember the story of Jacob and Esau. And Esau comes from hunting for three days. He comes in and, and he says, man, man, that stuff you're cooking over there, that, that, and it wasn't anything spectacular that he was cooking. It was just some junk and lentil soup, junk. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. But it wasn't nothing special. He says, he says, Hey, give me some of that food, bro. And Jacob says, all right, how bad you want it? I'm hungry, man. Give me some food, man. I hadn't eaten in three days. He says, give me your birthright. Okay, whatever. Here, here's my birthright. Now, what you've got to understand about the birthright is the birthright was the most important thing in a family. The firstborn male was given the birthright, which means that he received double what everybody else received, plus he received a name, plus he... I mean, it was, it was something amazing. And so what Esau did is he dishonored his family. He dishonored his father by saying, my birthright isn't important. See, a lot of people get confused on this story thinking, oh, he gave his birthright up because he was starving. No, the, the point of the story is he didn't respect or care about his birthright. He didn't respect or care about who he was. See, that's why the Lord used Jacob, because the Lord needed somebody who understood the importance of his role as a leader. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, right? Israel had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, which we know of today, right? We got some of those. We had this, game, we had this new game, and in that game, it asked that question, and we got a few of them right. My team did. Missed a miss some. I couldn't believe it. I said, got six right and missed six. And we'd only needed 10. I was like, man, I cannot believe in some of them that I missed. 
But the 12, the 12 tribes of Israel came from Jacob and why the Lord needed a leader who knew and understood the importance of his position. And Esau, Esau was so God, he didn't care. He had other things on his mind. I just want to hunt. I just want to fish. That's all I want to do. I don't care about the rest of this stuff. And so he threw it away. And he says he traded his birthright for one meal. For one meal. I mean, Abraham was maybe the richest man alive. So when Isaac takes his inheritance, that makes Isaac this really wealthy guy. Esau gave all this up for one single meal because he had no respect for it. He says, and afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected because it was too late for repentance. See, the Lord allowed Jacob to receive the blessing. You get this? Remember, Jacob comes in. His mom says, I want you to put, put this animal skin on. I want you to put it all over you. Make you hairy like Esau. He was a hairy man. Make you hairy like Esau. Make you stink like Esau, like he's been out hunting. And I want you to, I'm going to make you up some good food. You're going to take it to him. He's not going to know any better. He goes in there, and, and Isaac's laying in there, and Isaac can't see. He's blind. And he's like, man, it sounds like you're Jacob, but boy, you feel and smell like Esau, you know? Uh, so what did he do? He blessed he blessed Jacob. So when Esau came for the blessing later, it was not there. The blessing was not there. What, what Esau had already started, what he had already put in effect, now he loses out. Not only does he lose out on, on, on his inheritance, on the firstborn, but now he's lost the blessing of the firstborn also. And the Lord says, don't be like Esau. Don't do that. Don't miss out on what God has for you because you're so easily ready to throw it away and throw it aside. And I'll tell you what, look around you today. Look at people around you today and ask yourself how many of them, how many of them know the Lord and know about God, but they're throwing away their birthright because other things are more important. I said this to, I think it was, I was saying this to Christy the other day, or my mom wanted to. I said, today, we have more stuff than we've ever had before, and we're less content than we've ever been before. We have more stuff, and we're less content than we've ever been before. I heard this, this, uh, this guy was talking about the Bible. He says the bad thing about the Bible apps is it, is it takes away the importance of the Bible and the specialness of the Bible. Why? Because you have too much of it. And when you have too much of something, you don't need it anymore. And we have the Bible app, and nobody reads it. I mean, you could, I don't know how many Bibles that. There's probably hundreds of Bible apps out there. There's some popular ones, and there's some less popular ones. They got all these Bible apps, and people don't read it. You sit there, and you have a person coming to a church, a Christian coming to the church, and they don't even know the Bible. You ask questions, they don't even know what the Bible says. How do you get saved? How, how did you, why are you a Christian? I don't know. Mom and dad took me to church. Why are you a Christian? Well, because my granddaddy was a Christian. My mommy was a Christian, so I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Well, I went down to the first, first church of the saved down there for 20 years. I, that's why I'm a Christian. That's why. We don't even know. 
We have so much, and we don't, and we have the scriptures now, and it's not even important to us, even though we have it today. We have the scripture more than ever, but when we don't read it and we don't apply it and, and we don't care, then what happens is we go back to what Esau. We throw away our birthright. We go back to why can't people live in peace with each other? Because there's no holiness anymore. Churches can't live in peace with each other because there's no holiness in the church. And holiness is not what you wear. Holiness is on the inside. And what's on the inside will then come on the outside and you will be shown and it will be spoken out of your mouth. Verses 18 through 21 says, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire. We're talking about the Israelites. He says, you've not come to this place, darkness, gloom, whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and the voice of the uh, voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. And Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and I am trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is a judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Things have changed. You don't live under the old law anymore. You don't live under the old covenant anymore. He says, you don't have to fear God. God is not someone that you have to fear in that way. God spoke and everybody's like, oh. He says, today you have been made whole. You have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. No longer does a lamb have to be slain for you, but you've been made righteous. And now you can approach the throne room of God at any time because it is your place. Jesus says, I go, but why do I go? Because I want to prepare a place for you so that you can come with me one day. That's what we have. When we talk, when we've been talking on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about the words that we use. On Wednesday nights, we've been discussing that. The, the, the title of the, of the series that we're doing is called Watch Your Mouth. But one of the things that we're, we're really studying and learning is how important the, what we say and how powerful what we say is. And if we will understand, just like Jesus said, he says, if you will speak to the mountain and say, be thrown into the sea, that it will be thrown into the sea if you don't have any doubt, if you believe without any doubt. You get this? This is the God that we serve and we live for. Not the God that we have to be afraid of, but the God that we can say we have the power in the name of Jesus in our lives and the Holy Spirit power that we can see things changed in an instant. When you go out on a prayer walk and you're praying for people, it doesn't have to be, well, I I hope something happens for somebody. No, instead you say, when that person gives me the opportunity to pray, I know that the power of God is coming out of my mouth, they're hearing it, and the demons tremble at the name of Jesus, not me. I don't have to tremble. I don't have to be scared. I don't have to be, be worried about God speaking. I can be rejoicing. If I hear the Lord God say something, I can say, that's my God right there. Notice when God spoke out of heaven, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He, what was that? It was blessing. See, we're not under a curse any longer. We're not under the curse of sin. When we come to Jesus, we are now under 
under life. And the Bible says that he gives us life and he gives it more abundant, more abundant. Hebrews 20 verses 25 through 27 says, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger. So when Moses spoke, they were not able to escape. He says, we we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. We have to listen. And, And now remember, who was the writer speaking to? Christians. He was speaking to Jewish Christians here, okay? Which is, means he's speaking to us because we're Christians. And so he says, you, you have to pay attention to who Jesus is. You have to pay attention. You have to understand who he is, and you've got to listen to what he said. If, if Moses had that much power over, uh, over lives, Jesus has even that much more power over your life. So do not reject him. Do not reject him. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. That promise is, once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. What does that mean? The Bible says that there's going to be a time that, that we are going to be taken off this earth and that this earth and the heavens will be destroyed, and he will make a new earth and a new heaven. And the Bible says the only things that will survive is stuff that does not rust, that moth does not get, that moth cannot eat up. And what is that? We want to lay up our treasures, it says, in heaven. We want to listen to Jesus. We want to listen to God. We want to listen to his word. Maybe he's speaking audibly to you. You need to listen, and you need to store up your treasure in heaven. I've said this all along. You want to be a millionaire? Go ahead, be a millionaire. You want to be a billionaire? Go ahead, be a billionaire. Make sure and tithe. But hey, if you want to do this, that's great. There's nothing wrong with it. But where is your heart in all of it? Are you keeping the Lord front and center? I think that the Lord, I think the Lord loves everyone no matter how much money they have, and he uses everyone no matter how much money they have if their heart is toward him and if they're listening to him. Now, we finish off verse 28 and verse 29. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Would we come to the Lord anytime we need to come to him in fear and awe. And he said, well, you said we don't have to be afraid of God. No, it's the same fear that you have for that parent or that grandparent who disciplines you. you ooh, I'm listening to them. I respect, I honor, and I care about that. That's what he's saying. We come worshiping him with holy fear and awe. And when we come worshiping him, it should be that way. It shouldn't be like, well, God, you're a good God, I guess, you know. It should be, oh, God. I have the opportunity to speak to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I have the opportunity to speak to the one who made everything. You're the one who put this earth, and you, you said you formed it out of nothing. You formed it. It was water, and you took the water, and you took the land, and you, you split them apart, and you made a place for us to live, and you made a great place called the, the Garden of Eden, which we didn't get to live in. But you made it for us. We made a mistake. Humans made a mistake. Don't just blame Adam and Eve. We have been born into that same sin, and we make those mistakes. But God, you're such a great God that you sent your one and only son, the special man, Jesus, to this earth to die for our sins so that we could live again. 
That's the God that I serve, and that's the God I care about. And he says this. He ends this chapter with one of the, one of the greatest short verses that you could take. He says, for our God is a devouring fire, or our God is an all-consuming fire. You know, you probably sung a song that had that, those lyrics in it. This is where it comes from. Now you know where it comes from. If you didn't know already, chapter 12, verse 39, 29 of me, verse 29 is where it comes from. Our God is an all-consuming fire, meaning no one gets away from him. But you want to know the great thing is, if our treasure is stored up where fire cannot get a hold of it, then that all-consuming fire is only a positive for us. All it is is a purifying agent for us. He purifies us and he makes us what we need. And and it's like what I said a minute ago. It makes when our mouth is open and we begin to speak, if we will believe in our heart who God really is in our life and we will respect him when we begin to speak, those people are listening. They may not be listening today or what you see, but they're listening to you. When you're praying for that person, when we were praying for Tara this morning before she, when she came in, before she left this morning, and we laid hands on her, began to pray for her, what was going on there? Belief that God was doing something. Not only, not only to her, but to that baby we were praying for. Not only to the baby, but to the mother we're praying for who doesn't know the Lord. Not only to the mother, but to Jason who is there taking, you know, taking care of his daughter, being there for his daughter. All these people that surround it, what are we doing? We're encouraging, we're lifting up, we're praying for, we're, we're making sure. That's what Tara wrote on Facebook just a few weeks ago. says, man, if you're, if you're missing out on a family, a church family that cares about you and cares about what you're going through and, and ones that will pray with you and be with you. I'm paraphrasing, but this is what she, this is what she said. She says, this is the place to be. That's an encouragement to you, and it's an encouragement that we continue to do this, that we continue to stand up this way for the Lord and let God work and move, move and breathe in us and through us into other people's lives. When we come in here on a Sunday morning and we, when we begin to worship when he says that we should worship him with fear and awe, it, it, it doesn't mean that we have to stand in one place and go, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will. No. That fear and awe, sometimes it's like Connie when she's dancing. See, Connie's got, Connie's got it on good authority that there's other people who did that for the Lord in the Bible. David did it in the Bible. David danced for the Lord. He danced, he danced his clothes right off of him. I'll stop there. The thing is, it's awe and fear in our worship to God. We do this and we'll start to see God do great things in our lives. And when we come into this place on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday, or anytime we come together, women's meetings, worship is not just singing, okay? There's a lot more to worship than just singing, okay? Because worship comes from the heart. But when you come together and you do these things, you can start to see what God wants to do in people's life and how he's changing people's life. But let God minister to you. Don't just come into a service. Don't just come into a Bible study and say, well, I'm just here. I'm just here, God. Say, no, God, I, 
I, I thank you that I'm here and I have an opportunity. When they met together in the scriptures, in, the, in Acts, they met every day to study the scriptures, pray together, and they were seeing people saved every day. Every day. Same thing can happen in our lives. And that's what I'm praying for, everybody. I'm praying for salvation to come to this land and that we are going to be the catalyst. We're going to be the ones to see that happen here at Unlimited Church, this church family. Salvation, salvation, salvations, salvations. That's what we need. Let's pray, can we? Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for just an awesome service this morning with these awesome